You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. I'm Rob Poynton from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest, that includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com, forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember Innsmouth isn't just a place it's a state of mind. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos Hello everyone this is People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos I am one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer, to my virtual right, as always, Farmer Dave. How are you doing, David? I am well, but someday I will go on the left side just to make people wonder. Do they Yeah, Yeah, no, no. Uh, I I think if I I move all my windows, you're also on the left side because, anyway, uh, (laughs) just the way my screen's set up currently. Uh, yeah, yeah. How's 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 your week going? How how are the goats? The goats are fine. We are we've got oh about a month and a half before we have more goats. Whoa, ho, that sounds sounds like crazy. Is is are the goats wearing goat coats yet, or have they been wearing their goat coats for a while? So the, a couple of them we've been putting goat coats on. The ones that seem to uh, getting cold, but yeah, most of them they just you know. They just bundle up, but there's a few we've had to put goat coats on. And 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 for uh, any new listeners out there, goat coats are simply sweaters that you put on a goat. Human yeah. sweaters that you put on a goat. Yes, quite often we cut off the sleeves and we just slide them right on. Yep, yep. Because All right. they're effective and cheap. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, this... Uh, this week we've got some stuff going on. We've got uh, The Call of Cthulhu by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society out of California. Uh, really great, great stuff. For years they were doing uh, uh, audio. Uh, they were they, they, they were doing audio recordings. Yeah. And then they switched to movies and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, now 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 they do both. <laughs> yeah. And HP Lovecraft Historical Society is out of California. Mm-hmm, uh, Cthulhu mm-hmm. is out of Rayleigh. Yes, yes. Yeah, and uh yeah, and then uh later or first we'll be talking about uh we're going to be talking about People of the Monolith. Yes. Yes, the People of the Monolith. Which uh, is a volume of poetry written by Justin Jeffrey. We'll talk about the noted Baudelarian poet and correspondent of Mr. Glub Glub uh, Edward Derby uh, himself, themselves, uh, <laughs> in the in uh, just a moment. But yeah, so. Um, we're going to be going to a fan expo pretty soon. And I don't know when you're listening to this about two weeks. Yeah. 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 And about, about a week and a half, two weeks. And And we're going to be on, we're going to be in panels every day. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. We're going to be on panels every day. I'm going to be at uh, my buddy JC's booth at 1133. And uh, ooh, what else? Um, I'm going to be dressing up. But Dave, are, are, are you going to dress up at all? We'll talk about that. Okay, because if you don't, if you, yeah. if you don't have anything planned, you can always go to our newest sponsor, Why Cosplay. Why Cosplay, go there, uh, check out the code that they have on their main page, get 20% off using our link, or just use our link to let them know that we sent you there, and it helps our show grow, yeah. and uh, maybe we can... Uh, you and know, you can look cool at your con. Definitely, definitely. They've got everything from different Star Wars outfits. They've got some Dragon Ball Z stuff. They've got all kinds of various anime, movies, video game stuff. Anything that you really want to cosplay as, they've got some things. Uh, my buddy JC uh, printed up a katana that he just thought was lo uh, cool looking and I looked it up, seeing if uh, there was anyone I could find that had that cool katana. And I found it in something called, oh, I don't even remember what it is now. But it was like these cool katanas that had little notches in them to catch swords, uh, okay. oh, to catch other katanas and break them. And I found this guy that had two of them. And he had like some sort of like boar head on him and like... Uh, Anyway, I don't remember the name of the anime. Maybe someone listening out there is like, oh, that's so-and-so from um, My Barbarian Friends, or I don't know. Uh, anyway. My favorite anime as a youth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, check out why cosplay. And, I don't know, why not cosplay? It sounds like a good idea. I don't uh, know why not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, People of the Monolith, uh, as I said, it was written by the Baudelarian poet and correspondent of Edward Derby, Justin Jeffrey. Um, its title's connected to the, uh, when, when, when uh, Jeffrey went uh, insane after going, uh, where, where, Dave? To Stetson Thothen's Stufflet's Castle. Well, we'll call it Zuthalantan, and uh, in Hungary, uh, back in 1921-1922. Sources vary. Yes. <laughs> but when he came back, he wrote The People of the Monolith, and, uh, yeah. So, as such, Justin Godfrey, or Jeffrey, as he might be better known, Sure. Is the first person to ever go to Arkham's, well, Arkham Sanitarium. Yes, that's true. That is true. He's the first pension. And he dies in Arkham Sanitarium, but we don't get that from Howard. No. Lovecraft brings that up. Lovecraft yes. brings him up and says that he died screaming in Arkham Sanitarium, and, uh, uh, and he died before the setting of uh, the thing at the doorstep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's neat that he's connected to both stories. <laughs> yes, because, you know, Howard created uh, Arkham Sanitarium out of, you know, respect to his friend uh, mm -hmm. Lovecraft. And Lovecraft was really honored. He, he was really glad that, that Howard did it by all accounts. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he, want, he wanted to thank him back. Yeah, no, no. And it, it really kind of set up this kind of thing, like, is this real? What, what, is this stuff based off of something? <laughs> kind of feeling. Like when uh, people would talk about the Necronomicon and multiple books or um, stuff like that. The, the kind of uh, stuff everyone gets to use from the Cthulhu mythos. But yeah. Lovecraft yeah, yeah. <laughs> described it as sort of as if you're, you know, orchestrating a hoax. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's fun to now, be part of this hoax, too. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, here's the thing that I like about the the people of the, of the monolith. Yes. Is, first of all, well, Lovecraft did not create this idea of an old book of esoteric supernatural. No. 
so but he has the Necronomicon mm-hmm. and uh, you know then we have Mysteries of the Worm and Cult of the Ghouls and the Book of Eod. Sure, yeah. And these are all ancient sort of supernatural books. Mm-hmm. But Howard takes this a different step. Yeah. He makes it into a, a, a book that people could access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not until after like World War II with E. Cummings and the modernists that we get this idea that you can't understand poetry. Yeah. All of a sudden, now the great old ones are, they're reaching with their archaic knowledge to the masses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and poetry was very common back then. Uh, there would be poems, you know, once a week in the newspapers and people would have this family gathering on like Sunday night and they would memorize poems. Uh, there was poems in every issue of Weird Tales. Yes. 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 Uh, no, no, no. And uh, some of these poems, uh, not necessarily just in uh, Weird Tales, but uh, elsewhere would be quite esoteric. And mm-hmm. like people would try and tr- try and copy a classic style uh, or, or the classical style of poetry telling. <laughs> I'm using the wrong words for everything, and I hope people can. <laughs> I hope people can understand what I'm trying to say. But yes, um, poetry is and has been a big part of weird fiction and cosmic horror's history. So it would make sense that the people of the monolith would be such, such a, uh, such a tome. <laughs> yes. So who do you think Justin Godfrey, who do you think he's based on? Oh, definitely Clark Ashton Smith. Yeah, I think you're right. And, yeah. and, and it was actually, you beat me to it. Cause I was thinking that too. when I first read it, I thought it was based on Poe. Oh yeah, no, no. As and, soon as I saw in it. noted Baudelarian poet and correspondent of Edward Derby, and it's like Edward Derby uh, is not a stand-in for Lovecraft. Um, I mean, I look more like Edward Derby than Lovecraft does. I mean, I look a lot like Edward Derby. As a matter of fact, are you going to cosplay? Uh, No, I have cosplayed as Edward Derby. You know what? I might cosplay as Edward Derby. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of look like a young Ashton Clark Smith, too. Clark Ashton Smith. Oh, well. But when he was younger. Yeah. All right. So So, so I I got one more thing here to think about that. Oh, yeah. Go for it. So if Justin Guffrey is you know, analogous to Clark Ashton Smith. Yes. Then um, his, then uh, the people of the monolith would be possibly, uh, you know, equivalent or a metaphor for um, Smith's first book of poetry, which I'm trying to think, I think it was The Dream Trader. Possibly. Um, which was, you know, considered very successful mm-hmm. for a small um, press. Uh, you know, it was greatly supported uh, among the literary fans. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that might have been the, you know, that the writings of Smith are the inspiration for the people of the monolith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that. Seems like it would make sense to me. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it, it, it is very kind of this uh, self-referential, um, just change in the names kind of thing that uh, all of these gentlemen and ladies are fond of in, in, in this circle of, of, uh, of, of, of writing at the time, uh, of weird fiction, of, of, of the pulps, of, of whatnot. Yeah. No. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I, I, I said uh, Dream Treader. It's Star Treader. Star Treader. His, his book. So I, I think that it may have been inspired by Star Treader. Okay. Yeah. My brain autocorrected. I was like, yeah. And it's like I saw a Dream Treader uh, <laughs> on, the, on, on the cover that I've seen on eBay and 
uh, reprints on and Amazon, I believe. But yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got People of the Monolith. That's uh, one of those got books. One more, got one more poet of the time. Oh yeah, Howard himself. Howard Correct. loved poetry. Yes, he loved to write poetry. The first thing I ever read by Howard was mm-hmm. a poem uh, "When Silence Falls on Mecca's Wall." Oh, but I, he, he he had a lot of unpublished, and he wrote a lot of poems from a from a girl's perspective. Okay, and which the girls there. So there's one where you know the girls are basically, you know, having emotions over a a, a Howard like character in the poem. Mm-hmm. But there there's one where uh, you know the girl is. Everyone's complaining at in the church choir because she sings so bad. But you know she's there every day, and she's just thinking, "I just want to have sex with the minister." <laughs> you know, and, and and then so and there are some there are some good uh, Howard poems. Uh, uh, Arkham, he did a poem. Uh, he did at least one um, Conan poem, and yeah. and I love. Uh, Silence Falls on Mecca's Wall. Uh, some of his poems aren't that good. Yeah. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have what we have from Howard because Howard was a heck of a writer and, uh, yeah, <laughs> helped shape this uh, fandom we're all, all big part of. Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, People of the Monolith. So, yeah. Um, anything else we need to think about, talk about, um, let's see, contains people of the monolith out of the old land, dark desires, star beast, uh, strutter and darkness and the mirror of Nitocris. And I, I, I love this strutter and darkness. <laughs> he, he is. And, and you get. Also, you know, it's making some of the Lovecraftian titles, but sure, again, sure. We're, we're sort of touching on on Ashton Clark Smith there, yeah. Especially uh, with Star Treader, you know, it's got same same sort of sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It was. It was uh, I remember reading that way back in the day and being like, oh, this is like not necessarily poking fun, but like these are like the types of names if like uh his friends titles were all mixed up together almost but yeah um yeah fun we're gonna, stuff we're gonna see nitocris of course uh and uh the lovecraft uh houdini combo uh, uh it has several names but among others uh, i believe it's uh, buried with the pharaohs yeah yeah <laughs> Definitely. I was I was trying to remember what the uh name of it is. And yeah, no, it's it's buried with the pharaohs. Isn't one of its titles though the Mirror of Nitocris? So the Mirror of Nit so Nitocris is mentioned in the story. Uh-huh. Uh and the Mirror of Nitocris is a like a MacGuffin in uh several of the uh Chaosium Call Cthulhu. Okay. But okay. no, um, I'm pretty sure the title was not. Um, I, 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 in fact, I'm not sure if that was just mentioned okay. or it comes in uh, uh, Howard's notes or Chaosium may have come up with that. Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I just have it in notes and I'm like, Mirror of Nitocris Lovecraft, and I'm like, okay, I need to ask about this because I can't remember. <clears throat> so we have, um, we have the people of the monolith, and do we have any other like modern mythos books um, like the people of the monolith? I'm, I- I'm thinking like. Azathoth and others by uh, our 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 buddy Edward Derby. Yeah, and that one has some really funny titles in it as well, which we'll get to that, I guess, at some point in time in the future or the past. But 
Yeah, it's imprisoned with the pharaohs, or it's also entombed with the pharaohs. Okay. Also published under the pyramids. Under the pyramids. That's yeah. That's the one I always. Yeah. And yeah, no, no, I, I've I've read both, and thinking one was a new version of or uh, another story that I hadn't read, and just realizing that it was the Houdini one. Yeah. All right. Okay, so uh, that is People of the Monolith, everyone. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And then, uh, Dave, you've got something up your sleeve, it sounds like. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Hounds of Tenedelos. Ooh, all right. I like the way that's pronounced. Okay, so we'll talk to you in a bit, everyone. Ah, and Delos, I always mispronounce it. Ah, doesn't matter. It sounds good. Yes. You know what else is good, Dave? Uh, chocolate? Oh, not chocolate. I mean, chocolate is good, but I'm Coffee? thinking about some uh, tea. Tea? Okay. <laughs> I was going through our list of our, uh, of our providers because they're all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but California Tea House, uh, check them out. I think we might have a code somewhere for if you order it, you get something special, or they offer stuff that if you order it, you get something special. I'm a big fan of the tea balls that they have that are like bloom. They bloom into big, beautiful, flowery coolness. And yeah, you can get those. I think it's uh, if you order a certain amount, you get those as a gift. Uh, currently is a special that they have going on, but check out uh, California Tea House in the show notes. Use our link so we get a little bit of that, you know, help the show grow and be able to, I don't know, maybe show up in your town and show up at your, your, your festival if you live on the West Coast. So, all right. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey, everybody, it's Dave. And uh, today we're going to be talking about what is arguably one of the greatest creatures in the Cthulhu mythos that is not created, or was not created, by Lovecraft. And that is the Hounds of Tindalos. The Hounds of Tindalos appear in, surprisingly enough, a first in a short story called The Hounds of Tindalos. Written by Frank Belknap Long, and it was first published in Weird Tales, March 1929. Arguably, this is Long's most famous and most influential of stories. And this and his Space Eaters are definitely the most Lovecraftian stories that that I've read by him. And what I think is really sort of influenced by Lovecraft is that he has a nameless narrator, much like Lovecraft. Well, almost nameless narrator in the fact that we know the narrator's first name is Frank. So we can pretty much assume that this is a self-insert, just as he put a character, Howard, in the Space Eater, which was pretty much Lovecraft. Now, normally in this day and age, we see self-inserts as a sign of weak, poor writing. Not in this case. Uh, I think it works well, not only that we think of the narrator as some alternate dimension of Long who was caught up in this real supernatural world, but it's so dang well written if that's a sin, I'm willing to forgive it. Now, the other main character here is named Haplin Chambers. And he's a sort of an occultist trying to beat the system. And in a lot of ways, he's sort of this traditional folkloric character who is trying to get the benefits of making a deal with the devil, but then trying to beat the devil at his own game, only to get hoisted or hoisted by his own uh, petard. Now, if I had to say that this character was 
based on anyone. I would say that the character of Choplin Homers was inspired by Alistair Crawley. Now, it's not a photocopy of Crawley in any way, but one of the things that uh, Chalmers does is he travels through time by using drugs. And Crawley's memoir, of course, was a memoir of a, a drug fiend. So, and he was very open about drug use. And I so I I kind of see a similarity. This may be me literally looking at this story 90 years later and then trying to identify characters with historical figures that I know. But um, I don't think I've ever seen that it was written. I'm not sure Long would confess that it inspired. Obviously, he did inspire his characters by people. Uh, the narrator is inspired by him. Uh, like I said, Howard in another story is inspired by Lovecraft. So I think even if I'm wrong in my assumption that this was an inspired character, it definitely I see an association and some resemblance, uh, if not inspiration, from Crowley. And again, I said, you know, this is what, a 93-year-old story? But at the same point, even though it is one of the more well-known uh, Cthulhu Mythos stories, you may or may not have read it. So as I go in a little bit deeper about this, warning, there will be spoilers. Okay, you've been warned. That said, the, the, chap the Chalmers character uses a drug that allows him to, trans to transcend time. Uh, and he goes back to prehistoric. And it's not the mechanical machinery, physical time traveling of H.G. Wells' uh, The Time Machine. This is a form of psychic uh, traveling where he basically projects his conscience and becomes a disembodied witness to history. He basically astral projects through time. And doing so, he basically violates the laws of the temporal enforcers who are the Hounds of Tindalus. Now, every picture I've ever, almost every picture I've ever seen of the Hounds was drawn, shaped like a hound. Uh, we never really get a vision from Long what they look like. They, they move between corners, they're shadowy. What we see in Long's story is that they leave behind this blue goo. And that's how we know they're there. And I believe the words are, they are lean and athirst. And with that, most artists who tried to draw them sort of make them look like eerie, spectral greyhounds. I'm okay with that. I think that's an awesome representation. But it isn't come up that way in the story. In the story, as near as we can tell, and it doesn't spell any of this out, and that's a sign of a great story where it leads a lot to your imagination and you wanting to know more, that they get the term hounds because they're trackers, that they have some sort of sense that like a bloodhound tracks humans by their scent or a prisoner by their escape prisoner by their scent, the hounds of Tendalos basically have some sort of temporal sense, some temporal sense organ that allows them to track people traveling through time that should not be. And so they hunt them down, and they hunt them down through the angles of time. So basically, they can materialize if there is a corner. And so that is sort of the antagonist's plan, is he, while he's working out a way to escape from them, he creates a egg-shaped room that he can live in that has no corners. Well, what happens, because... 
anyone who makes a deal, deal, a Faustian deal with the devil, and in this case, the deal was not with the Hounds of Tendalos, it was by engaging in this arcane scientific black magic, they have to pay. They have to basically, um, the devil is going to get his due. The Hounds of Hell are going to get their due. So, this case, the Hounds of Tendalos basically make a pack, apparently, with some sort of creature. Possibly adult, because they are mentioned, as are the satyrs are mentioned, to cause an earthquake. This causes a crack in this perfectly egg-shaped room, and that allows them to materialize and develop, uh, devour our wayward time traveler. So what do these Hounds of Tendalos look like? Like I said, Long doesn't tell us. He kind of leaves it to our imagination, and most people's imagination comes to, you know, a dog shape. And I think it may have lent from, you know, Lovecraft's own story, The Hound. And the hound is a, a again a spectral being that chases down the the two uh, grave robbers in the to titular um, the hound, but and again we see this sort of similarities, in that you know a dog-like spectral being that can basically materialize in thin air is sent to hunt down to trespassers on occult knowledge to punish them for either stealing the artifact or by traveling back in time. They become very much hellhounds, which would be a legend that would be in folklore at this time. And with things, you know, like the song Hellhound on My Tail at the time, it's distinctively possible that readers would know this story. Yes, and I know Robert Johnson's Hellhound on My Trail was not released, at least until Anglo audiences, until 1937. There was blue songs that had references to Hellhounds as early as 1927, and so... It's possible that even if Long wasn't aware of the tradition of hellhounds, which I suspect he was, the average reader might be. So Brian Lumley, in his Titus Crow novels, offers what a hound of tenderness might look like. And he describes them as bat-like, which, to be honest, is good as anything. And I suspect that he did this to kind of maybe break off from the dog and hound motif but he has them again he calls them the hunter hunter or hounds because they're hunters they're crackers and also that they are the servants the pets the tools of a another force now we kind of get this inspiration from the long story that these are the equivalent of human beings, if not for any other reason that they are as smart, crafty, and determinated as human beings are. But in the Lumley stories, we get that they really are the servants that to something even more powerful. So these hounds of Tendalus are greater, they can travel through time, they're more powerful, they're more magical than human beings, yet there is something that is even greater to them and than they are to us. So their masters are nearly godlike and that this grace that is a more powerful and destructive and magical than the human race is like pets to them, like dogs are to us. So 
we're only dealing with, you know, the hounds, the servants, the beast, the attack dogs of this greater, almost omnipotent, powerful race. And their, you know, beasts of burden are more powerful than us as a entire race. Like so much within the Cthulhu mythos, the details are basically left to be filled by the Chaosium role-playing game and other role-playing games. So if you are interested in basically knowing the details or stat the unstatable, by far I would say the Lovecraftian, I mean the, the Chaosium role uh, Call Cthulhu role-playing game is the, probably the best source there. And they make really good um, adversaries for a Chaosium role-playing game almost too good. There's really no way to take them down but by magic. And there's no real way to escape them. And if you did think of something like let's have your character live in an egg-shaped room, they're going to find a way around it. Um, so yeah, I think that this is probably one of the better, definitely one of the better non-Lovecraftian creatures in the entire mythos. Uh, and I would like to see maybe a little bit more, but in some ways, definitely the less is better when it comes to Hounds of Tenodelos and their mysteries. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Hello, everyone. We're, we're watching a movie. We watched a movie. Yes. What, what movie did we watch, Dave? The H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society's version of Call of Cthulhu! Dun, dun, dun! Which you do not hear in the movie because the movie is silent. Yes, and it's in black and white. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so when I before I saw it, I kind of thought this was a cop-out. Oh. That, oh, they, oh, they're saving money. They're, they're doing it. But it works so well as a silent black and white movie. Yeah. Even if it was to save money, it paid off. It, it pays off. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw the one of the trailers. I think I saw the first trailer in 2004 or 2005 at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon, at the Hollywood Theater. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> uh, tell me more. Well, anyway, uh, I saw the trailer and it was black and white. And I just was like, you know, I, 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 I've been a fan of black and white films since I was a young, a young person. And, um, it's, it, it, it I, I was, I, I was odd. I was like, wow, this is actually, cause everything at that point in time was very kind of student film at the HP Lovecraft, yeah. or it was some like old British teleplay um, or something like that, you know, and, and, and this, this was different. This looked professional. It looked like a black and white film, but it also, you know, it, it looked like a new old black and white film and it, it was amazing. And I was so excited to see it the next year that I made sure that I came back to the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, even though I didn't live in Portland at the time. I, I, I was living down in Eugene while my ex-wife was doing stuff with school. I mean, we were married at the time, but we're not anymore. Anyway, but yeah, no, um, they used a blend of vintage and modern filming techniques yes. to produce a film that looked like it was from... Uh, the I'm I'm gonna say like the early to mid 1920s for sure. Yeah, yeah. So do you know what its Rotten Tomatoes rating is? Oh, 100. It's it's got a 100 score yes. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, 
I think that's what the hip kids call fresh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and you know what? You know what the uh, the fans rating is for it? Oh, it's something like seventy one percent. I think it is eighty five. Eighty five. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so I I have this question. Yeah. What's wrong with fifteen percent of the world? <laughs> no, they don't I mean, want it, they they don't want the truth out. That must be. That must be. <laughs> and, and and it's not a perfect movie, but it's as my dad used to say, it's better than it had to be. Oh yeah, yeah, it, definitely, definitely. And it's obviously a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Not all labor loves are good movies. Sure. I'm looking at you, the room, but. Oh you know. no, that wasn't a labor of love. That was a tax write-off. That was mon- uh, that was money laundering. I'm still looking at you, the room. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm looking at you, Neil Breen. <laughs> there we go. Yes, yes. Neil Breen. I don't think that's a tax write-off. I think that is um, someone who has mental health issues and money <laughs> and makes films. Yeah. But but yeah, so not all labors of loves are pay off, but this one does. Sure, definitely, definitely. And can you uh give us a quick rundown of the plot? Well, it pretty much follows the short story. Okay. Which so and I'll say the parts that really still always starts stuck with me. But yeah, first that. thing, it sort of bursts the bubble of this that Lovecraft is unfilmable. Yes. You know, so this is not only is it it's good, it's Lovecraft, it's <laughs> Hello? Yeah, oh, I was just there you cough. Yeah, I'm done coughing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but but it, it, it it's it's true to the story. Yeah. No. No. It's very very loyal to the story. It's not like um, 1970s Dunwich horror compared to um, the story. I mean, it's or like the, or, or, the what's that? Hello. So Dagon, the the Spanish. Version. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say uh, compared to uh, any other adaptation that I've seen or or even uh, come across that, um, yeah, I, I I I think that 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 one is like the least faithful adaptation. Uh, and 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 like there's 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 the. Uh, Various uh, Stuart Gordon Lovecraft films that aren't necessarily uh, true to, <laughs> yeah. or, or even Richard Stanley's *Color Out of Space*, which is faithful to the feeling, if not yeah. the story. This yeah. this is faithful to the story, plot, narrative, uh, influence, everything. Sure, sure, sure. There's a little, there's a little bit extra stuff here and there, just to like kind of round off the edges and not make it as, uh, yeah. as 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 dreamlike as as the story is in parts. But yeah, yeah, no. And it's uh, pretty much it's about a dying professor who gives his great nephew uh, a box that says Cthulhu Cult. And the uh, nephew starts to study this stuff bit by bit and uh, starts investigating it on his own. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it, 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 it's to be seen. It's to be seen. And, the story itself, the story itself, if you haven't read The Call of Cthulhu, I I highly recommend you read The Call of Cthulhu or listen to an audio uh, book of The Call of Cthulhu. It is it is an amazing story. It is it is it is just like 
someone kind of like gleaning little secrets to understand a bigger, darker truth about not only themselves and humanity, but but like the world and the universe at large. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to see this in, you know, we it, it's Lovecraft didn't invent it. No, we're no. We're going to see it in later stories, too. But I think it pulls it off. Uh, he pulls it off better than almost anyone else. Oh, and, sure. And yeah. Also, to your point on um, audiobook, if you're like me and you're ADD and you tend to skip around, mm-hmm. audiobooks is the way to go. Oh and, yeah, okay. yeah. Because I, I, I have to say when I I've read it ten times, I listened to it once and I got things out of that time listening that I never picked up before. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. No. And it's a story that like um, I remember running across it and reading it when I was a lot younger, and it made me want to like uh, find out more about like what he was referencing with various things, and I ended up learning a lot about like. Uh, Art history and architecture due to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, it's it's a great film. And it's got some uh it's it's got Matt Foyer as Francis Waylon Thurston, John Bolin as the listener, Ralph Lucas as Professor Angle, uh Chad Pfeiffer from the HB Podcraft as Henry Wilcox, and also uh let's see. Um, Chris Lackey is in the film as well, and he's the sailor who falls into the uh, folds of Raul Ye. Ooh. Yeah. And if you listen to the audio, uh, he he, he uh, cut his arm, I believe, on a, a nail that was sticking out as he fell. And <laughs> uh, the sets were... Uh, some were filmed on location. Some were uh, filmed in the backyards of cast members uh, and and producers. And yeah, no, it's it's a, a very interesting uh, featurette that you can watch if you have the uh, CD. Uh, and possibly it might be available on on YouTube or elsewhere. But I, I really recommend checking out this film, checking out the how it was made kind of stuff about it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how else to tell people that this is like a fun film. If you don't like black and white films, maybe, I mean, you know, if, if you don't like silent films, if you're like, I do not like silent films. But if you like Lovecraft, maybe check it out. But if you're like, I don't like Lovecraft. I'm not sure why you're listening. Um, I don't like Cthulhu. I'm not sure why you're listening. Uh, I don't like silent films. I don't like independent projects that aren't from uh, major uh, major production companies. I only uh, like things that have superheroes in them. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not a film for you. Um, and yeah, it's oh, the sets are fun and cool. Uh, they, yeah, yeah, no, no. And the props, the props and the outfits, I, I, I think are really nice, really cool, really fun. And it really gives you that sense of, uh, the, the, uh, some aspects give you kind of a sense of like, uh, the German surrealist, uh, not German surrealist, uh, expressionist. Yeah. Uh, films from like the uh, early 1900s, like uh, oh, goodness, uh, Metropolis, Metropolis, and uh, Cabinet of Doctor uh, 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 Kil- Kilgari. Yeah. Uh, a- 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 M. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I was looking at some of the. Uh, shots today, and I, I definitely with the shadows and the light. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 faces, the shadows and the light. Uh, forced perspective on Raleigh, and uh, just just certain things just remind me of everything from uh, uh, 
all, all the things that we've mentioned before, Nosferatu included, uh, the two Mabase films from the twenties. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's, 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 it's amazing. Uh, 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 Irma Vamp and the, uh, vampires. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's all that kind of stuff is, is being, uh, visually referenced. And I don't know. I, I, it's it's I have shown it to people who didn't know anything about the Call of Cthulhu who hadn't read it and weren't really into it and they continued to not really be into it afterwards it's like oh well this is a did your friends make this and I'm like you know it's like well, well yeah no people I know now did make it but um, back then I didn't I didn't know any of these people they were just people who I, I had bought in CDs from but <laughs> um, yeah, one of uh, one of the the favorite films of uh, the two uh, thousands of mine for H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Film Festival for sure. No, it's 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 definitely worth a view. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Any any uh, notes you have there, Dave? Yeah, I think you pretty much covered it. All right. Very cool. Well, everyone. I think we're coming to the end of the show there. And I wanted to say thank you for joining us for season 17, episode one, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I, I hope you like us talking about movies in the second half. Um, we, we, we pretty much covered how to play D&D, so it's like let's, let's start talking about movies again, part of the format of seasons three through whatever until, I don't know, until season seven or eight. I can't remember. Anyway, thank before you again. What's that? Before my time. Yes, before your time. Uh, all right. So, yes, thank you again, everyone. We'll talk to you next week where we'll be talking about more stuff related to the Cthulhu mythos, uh, weird fiction, and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, check out the show this week. We've got The Werewolves of War, parts one through four, I believe, uh, playing mm -hmm. on the audiobook uh, the section. Parts. What's that? The best parts. The best parts. Yes. All right. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. That was a good episode. Yeah, I think it will be. I think it is. Mm -hmm. All right. I got to record some intro and outro stuff, so I got to go find my okay. acoustic guitar. <laughs> I, sent you, I sent you the... Uh...